I call it the Mountain Cafe Pissing Contest. Um, and it's basically of how high can you piss up the wall and uh, I'll do a handstand and beat them every time. <laughs> Welcome to my podcast, Spirit and Spice. I'm Gilly Bashan, a writer and broadcaster with a passion for food. Not just the food on my plate, but the people and the stories behind it. Here I am with Kirsten and Al Gilmore. And what am I having, Kirsten? You're having an absolutely massive ribeye, about half a cow, I reckon, um, from the local Grand Town Butcher. Some nice little baby potatoes and chimichurri salsa. Most people know you from the Mountain Cafe in Aviemore in the mm. Scottish Highlands because you are the owner and the head chef and it's an award-winning cafe. I mean, how many awards has it won? I don't know. <laughs> the wall up the stairs is littered with both personal awards for your own chefing mm-hmm. as well as awards for the cafe. Yeah, I like to call that wall my narcissist wall. <laughs> <laughs> Because I absolutely hate it. I never go up and down those stairs because I'm just looking at myself and I'm like, oh, I don't like that wall. What on earth brought you to Aviemore? I mean, you know, you're you're a Kiwi, a mm-hmm. Scottish Kiwi, a yeah. Skiwi. A Skiwi, yes. What brought you here? A weekend skiing. <laughs> Surely not all the way from New Zealand. No, no. I, uh, I'd, I'd done it almost two years in London. The head chef that I was working for, um, it was kind of like a fusion restaurant that I was working in. She put the place on the market and it sold really quickly. And I thought, well, this is my chance really to move on and get out of London. Uh, so I travelled around the UK and then I got to Scotland and I really loved it. Um, I had big plans that I was going to go to the West Coast and maybe work on some of the aisles. Um, but I got to Aviemore and I just absolutely loved it. I got a job in Alice Brigham's in the outdoor shop, <laughs> renting out skis. Um, and it was just a really nice break after doing all those years cooking. I happened to be working in a shop across the road and I managed to trap Kirsten into a relationship. Six months later we were engaged <laughs> and then another six months later we were married. That's pretty speedy. Yeah, it was pretty speedy. I'm sort of sure the visa was part of it now. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's still here. Yeah. She is still yeah. here. So this wasn't a case of luring a man through your cooking then because you were actually working in a mountain shop. Mm, exactly, yeah. It was, uh, it was all about Al taking me rock climbing and Al cooking me really horrendous meals. <laughs> Al was the worst cook ever when we first met. Like the first uh, meal that the two of us had as a date, Kirsten had told me she was vegetarian. I cooked a pork stir fry. <laughs> which I really enjoyed <laughs> so you weren't a real vegetarian yeah I was brought up on a farm and when I came over to the UK my mum and my gran put the fear of God into me that I was going to get BSE if I, if I ate meat over here because it was just after mad cow's disease going back to growing up on the farm is that where you got inspired definitely with, uh, cooking yeah um, my grandfather was Hungarian Um, and my gran was a Southland farmer Um, and they were really two complete opposite people. Um, I would say my grandfather was pretty outrageous and the fridge would always be full of salamis and sauerkraut. I remember being about five or six years old and opening the fridge and there being a whole pickled cow's tongue in the fridge (laughs) Um, where my nana was very Presbyterian old school. Um, You didn't waste anything um we grew everything she pickled everything she possibly could and it was quite a weird setup because sort of in the 70s and 80s in New Zealand the the man would do all the farming and the woman would be in the kitchen cooking nana did all of the gardening and the farming and my granddad did all the cooking 
My granddad was a fantastic baker, and whenever we took baking to school, we were told that we weren't allowed to tell anyone <laughs> that granddad had made it because um, they would think he's queer, basically. And um, he used to say, if you tell anyone that I made this cake, I'll never bake again. So it was like, oh yeah, my nana's an amazing baker. Nana was the worst baker ever. So I was really lucky because in the 80s and sort of 90s growing up, to have salamis and sauerkraut and cholamadi and just like your own pickled gherkins, that was totally mm. wacky in those days in New Zealand. You know, it was three veg and meat in most places. And he had salamis curing in the garage. And it was just amazing. It was awesome. So that really inspired me about fresh food from the garden, really. Sorry, that's the cat. And that's possum. <laughs> Did you pick up some tips with all of the pickling? Because, the, you know, people from that part of the world, you know, Hungary and Romania and Eastern Europe, they're amazing at preserving foods. I took it for granted when I was young. I wasn't that interested in it. I certainly liked eating it. And then I trained as a chef and I was all determined to do Michelin star food and do all this fancy stuff. So that really went on the back burner. And then as I started to develop in the cafe and my own cooking style, I just started to really enjoy making my own relishes. So like we have granddad's burger relish, which is like a green tomato pickle. And, and I love doing that sort of thing now, definitely. Yeah, it's quite a big part of what I do. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite thing, Al, that she cooks? I'm torn between the breakfast. I look at the pancakes and it's not because of the pancakes, it's because of what comes with the pancakes. It's all the, the mix of flavors and the, and the fresh fruit. The pancakes are almost, the excuse for having the rest of it, if that makes sense. When um, uh, I first met Al, he was proper Highland boy. Yeah. You know, like I remember he cooked a roast once and I came home and I was like, wow, you cooked a roast beef, that's amazing. That was all we had. <laughs> there was no vegetables, it was just literally a lump of meat. I got so excited about the meat, I thought, we'll survive without the veggies. <laughs> I mean, when it comes to lunch, I think my favourite would be some of the salads. Mm. I, I mean, I love meat, don't get me wrong, but given the choice of the mix of flavours within the salads and it, and it is because of the combinations and the texture and everything, I think I would choose a salad over anything else for lunch. From the beginning, starting on your own, was it easy to find staff as you got bigger and bigger and needed to keep recruiting and teach people how to cook as well? I would say in the first five years of opening the cafe, it was actually pretty easy to get a chef. Um, but I would say now, like last year, um, I advertised for almost the whole year last year and I spent £6,000 on advertising and I didn't get a chef. Why do you think that is? I think there's two things. I think there are chefs that are not qualified and they work in chain restaurants where they buy and chop lettuce and things like that and they call themselves a chef. So you've got that kind of person who thinks they're a chef. Then you've got chefs that are quite high up and they don't want to cook cafe food. You know, for them making children's um, sandwich platters and things, it's, it's beneath them in their eyes. Um, and I think also there's so much money in agency chefing now. And I think less people are training. And I think that's the biggest issue is people aren't prepared to commit to 10 years to climb the ladder. They expect it given to them on a plate. You know, they'll go to chef's college and they think within a month or of graduating chef college, they can be a sous chef or... You know, and I see that quite often now. So what we've been doing um, is I've just promoted two of my kitchen assistants and I'm training them to cook at the moment. And that's working really well for me because 
they have no preconceptions and they don't really know anything apart from the basics of what they've already learned doing their kitchen assistant job, which is cleaning, rotation, labeling. So they've got the basics of the kitchen and then we can start bringing the food in. Um, How do you find that dynamic of being, you know, the, the, the head chef as a woman and you're, you're recruiting both women and men? I think in my earlier days of having the calf, I was more defensive and I would say that I was more challenged by male chefs because I think I felt I had something to prove. Um, but I think now I've been there and I've done that and I've got the t-shirt. I generally get two types of male chefs that come into the kitchen, ones that totally respect me from the start, they're quite rare. Um, and then I have the type which uh, I call it the Mountain Cafe Pissing Contest. Um, and it's basically of how high can you piss up the wall and uh, I'll do a handstand and beat them every time. <laughs> um, so we normally come, I come home and I'll be like, how was your, uh, your pissing competition today? And it takes about a week and I normally break them. Um, and it's not like a, a bad breaking them. It's uh, letting them hang themselves, basically. You know, they'll come in. I had a chef once call me a housewife chef. Um, because I didn't put vinegar in my poaching water for eggs. In my mind, it's not so much breaking them. They need to go through a painful process where they realise that actually you know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Your gender is neither here nor there. Mm -hmm. It's the knowledge and the skill that you have. And it, it's quite interesting to watch because you almost see a light bulb moment for these people where they go, OK, I get it now. And at that point we're home and hosed, yeah. you know, but it's that first initial month that it can be quite difficult. I don't really blow my own trumpet, you know, I'm not going to sit in an interview and tell them where I've worked in the past and what my experience is. I just want them to come in and accept me for who I am now. Mm. Um, and that can be quite a challenge. And mm. sometimes I probably should be a bit more in your face, but it's just not my character. Mm -hmm. You could just tie them to the banister of the stairs <laughs> on the way up to the cafe so they can just sit there and look at all those That's rewards. brilliant. That's a great <laughs> idea. I really like to inspire people um, and try and get them to think for themselves. That's the main mission in my kitchen is mm -hmm. to get people to take responsibility for every section that they're on and take some pride in that. And if they make mistakes, they make mistakes. You know, we're all human. Um, I was 26 when I opened the cafe. And I'd worked in a few places, but I wouldn't say I was massively experienced. I was a chef de party. I'd never run a kitchen on my own before. I'd never had a team of staff below me. It was a massive learning curve. And I treat the kitchen still as a learning process for me. And I drag my staff along with me. You know, at the moment I'm trying to learn more about salts. And I've had you in the kitchen before teaching me about spices because I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's, it's just all about learning, and I'm never going to stop learning, you know. Yeah, but we're all like that. I mean, that's a really important thing, is, is to realise that actually there is a lot to learn, and we mm -hmm. all need to keep learning, because mm -hmm. that's what keeps us inspired mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. But talking about, you know, all, all the recipes that you've developed, both ones from your childhood and um, the ones that you're always creating in the cafe, you've managed to put a lot of those into a wonderful book mm -hmm. called The Mountain Cafe Cookbook. It must have been a slightly bittersweet launch of the book for you in a sense because Al developed cancer. Mm -hmm. I think the, the point where we realised that Al wasn't well was in December. Um, you got to the point where you almost couldn't walk. Mm -hmm. um, and it was my birthday on the 22nd of December 
And so we drove over to Ullapool to have a couple of nights in the Cayley place, which I was super excited about. And you were really not well. I was knackered. And I remember you being grumpy because, like, we've always done loads of adventures. And it, it's often been me because the cafe's been so hard work. Like G, I've been tired. And yeah, you've been tired. To, and yeah. G and you up to come out and going, it's worth it. We'll go out and do this. Mm -hmm. And it, I remember feeling really bad that I was absolutely shattered and you're champing at the bit to go for a nice walk on the beach or go into the hills, whatever, and I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I just remember lying on the bed at one point and, and because we didn't know what was causing it, you were grumpy. Mm -hmm. And you put it down to me working too hard. Mm -hmm. you know, so what was your work at that time? I, I was a full-time mountaineering and, and a mountain bike instructor. So um, very physical. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and, and we just thought that maybe he didn't do his back. And I think that was the first bittersweet moment that I remember. There was many of them uh, through the whole process of Al's diagnosis. But as we were driving over to Alapool and Al was absolutely knackered, my phone pinged and Al read out the message while I was driving and it was from the publisher to say that Peter Gordon was writing a piece for my book endorsing it and I was in floods of tears you know it was the best birthday present ever because he mm -hmm. was my hero and I was just like I just couldn't believe it mm -hmm. and that's definitely was my first bittersweet moment with with you and being then, diagnosed. Unfortunately the next few months there were quite a few I remember just even the build-up to the book launch because I was still quite ill but mm -hmm. getting treatment by that point and the treatment was making a big difference and I, I got a bit of radiotherapy which made a huge difference to how capable I was because I mean every morning it was probably 15 minutes getting less each day of of sort of having to walk around trying to balance on Kirsten's back just to warm my back up enough so I could then do anything for myself. So what was the diagnosis? A type of blood cancer but the way the blood cancer works is it um, effectively leaches the calcium out of your bone so it was just sort of destroying my spine. Um, it can go into your legs and your arms, but it was just in my back. To put it simply, I, I got two compression fractures in my back, and I now have the back of probably somebody in their 70s, and I'm 40-odd. Is it painful on a day-to-day -day basis? There is pain, but, but you sort of... I've done some interesting work playing a game to deal with chronic pain. I don't really notice the chronic pain as much, but I do have to be relatively careful at what I do because... Definitely one of my vertebrae, not, there's not a lot left of it. So even if I slip down the stairs, that could be quite bad to land on my bum. So going biking and walking, I balance the mental benefits of that with a little bit of winding my neck and <laughs> not very good at that. But yeah, it must be so tough though, after having spent all those years doing something you loved that was in the outdoors, it was so physical, and now it's actually an effort to do... Do you know, it's interesting. I think because I was so incapable in that December, January, February... I mean, I couldn't go to work pretty much for most of January because you couldn't dress yourself. I couldn't do anything for you myself. You couldn't get in and out of bed. Um... So actually, what I'm doing now, I never dreamt I'd do again. So it's funny. Some days I look at the hills and I look at the mountains as a past life. They're, they're not, because I can get back in the hills. But what I did then, it's almost like I've drawn a line in it. I wouldn't say that that's 100%. There is definitely emotion in there, and I still grieve for a lot of it. You know, it's hard, but 
I, I think I also, I mean, change comes to all of us. I thought it was going to be my knees, to be honest. It was going to mean that I would leave work. Mm. Um, you know, they were the thing that I thought was going to limit my amount of time on the hill. I think we're both quite positive. I think you're much more positive than I am. Um, but you've got a great way of dealing with it, you know, and you make the most of of whatever you can do like um at the moment because uh, the way owl's cancer works is it's myeloma so it's not curable but it's treatable um and so we went through the first lot of chemo and a stem cell transplant um it worked to a certain degree it knocked the cancer back Mm -hmm. six months ago it started Mm -hmm. climbing again so now owl's back on chemo at the moment and we'll have another stem cell transplant in august yeah august september time um and if it went really well, you could get remission, which means it will be dormant for a, for a while until it comes back and again. And hopefully a few years of that. And is that really no the pattern that your life will take? Mm-hmm. I, if I don't get the longer periods of remission, then the pattern is likely, but again, there's no rules, to the gaps between treatment getting slight, slightly shorter. That would be really worrying, wouldn't it? So there's the challenge. I mean, mm-hmm. that is the joy of cancer. And numerous people are going through journeys similar and worse and all the rest of it is... That's why cancer is such a sort of horrible and destructive thing. And that has an impact for both of us when it comes to planning. And well, we can't really plan anything, you know, because you don't know. You, like you live from month to month effectively waiting for the next result. Or if, you, if I'm out of treatment, you might get a two-month window, you know. But you can't really plan now that in next year you're going to go on holiday. And how has it affected your social life as well? Just you, not not necessarily mm-hmm. you and Kirsten, in the sense that as you were an outdoor mm. instructor, um, you presumably had other mates that were in the outdoors and probably spent quite a lot of time going on campouts and Biking treks together whatever. and all of that. So how does that affect your actual... Um, friendships it, with them. It hasn't really changed the friendships with the people who are friends. It switched off a lot of those activities because I couldn't do any of those things and to even think about it was quite damaging mentally. And then as time's gone on, I've had days in the hills, I even got out, did a bit of winter climbing, I never thought I'd put a harness on again. You hear people talking about when they've got cancer or have had cancer or are living with cancer, um, that it it makes everything smaller your world suddenly becomes smaller and actually you appreciate life Mm -hmm. and it's so true Mm -hmm. and you can't explain it unless you're going through it but it's things like the first time that Al rode his bike again was about five months after you'd started treatment and we cycled to the old bridge which is probably a k from here and Al was cycling in front of me and we just went on the road and I was in bits. We I both had tears in our eyes within the whole way there. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, because I just didn't think you'd ever get back on a bike mm-hmm. again, you know. And now, like last two weeks ago, um, Al was on quite a big dose of steroids, which make him quite full on. That's a polite way of putting it. And uh, and he's pretty wired. And uh, he, I drove him out to Abernethy, and he took a trailer on the back of his bike, and he just cycled into the woods camp for a night and then cycled all the way home the next day and that's massive yeah that was brilliant so with the realization that you can't go back to the outdoor world what have you decided to do definitely a period of absolutely no idea you know and sort of wondering about retraining as whatever and 
I've, I've tried a few different courses, but I think the great opportunity and the thing that's been a real surprise for both of us is I've got a lot more involved with stuff behind the scenes at the cafe and really enjoyed it. It's been really rewarding. It's taken a while, I think, for it to be quite as rewarding for Kirsten because the cafe is her baby and having somebody else there challenging at times some of the behaviours and habits definitely been quite hard. But, and ch- what, challenging but, Kirsten's behaviours and habits? Yeah. Or, or, or the stuff? Yeah, it's or more the financial <laughs> side of things at times. It's like, mm, you can't spend on that. What? <laughs> yeah, you know? I'm used to doing whatever I want, you know. <laughs> and I think what the, the most positive thing that's come out of it is us working together. It was really hard to start with because I was so used to doing whatever I wanted, you know. And... I'm very, um, the, the chef that trained me is ex-military, so I'm very military in the way I do things. I like everything done properly, I like it finished, and I like it filed. That's complete opposite to Al, and uh, it's it's quite entertaining, um, the, the difference between us. You know, like, when I finish in the office at the end of the day, everything is off the bench, and I've wiped the bench down, even in the office, where Al's got paperwork And I've everywhere. got many projects <laughs> on the go, and they're all in their own little things. Kirsten comes up and just sees a mess. Whereas to me, that's perfect because I know wh- where this one's going and I know where that one's going. And, but so, so there's been, it, it's quite good because it does, it does help me being more organised. But apart from office organisation, mm-hmm. um, how does it work as the kind of, um, you know, relationship of actually managing the business? Al has really brought in his coaching skills from the outdoors of getting people to think more for themselves and to do things for themselves and just become more capable and more forward thinking. We've been working really hard on um, getting a stronger team and that's been a brilliant help for me. Which is actually really valuable because you'd have done so much with teamwork Mm -hmm. in the outdoors and to bring that into the staff Mm -hmm. situation, especially if you still have the occasional problem with some of the male chefs or Mm -hmm. just these chefs that want to run before they can walk. Mm -hmm. Uh, To have your influence in there must be huge. And the biggest help really is being with front of house because in the kitchen, the kitchen is the kitchen, um, and it's quite a blunt workforce, you know, it's you say it how it is and you don't really mince your words but as such. Coaching is with a small C, isn't it? Well, I think <coughs> because, I'm quite good at coaching. coaching, like, you know, today I've been teaching one of the lasses how to make suits, and I think that's my kind of coaching, where if I say jump, I expect people to mm. jump, you know, that's the way it works, it's like a hierarchy, it's like being in the army to run a good swift kitchen I was trying to do that with front of house and we were all banging heads all the time we're now actually Al's got I don't really even have to deal with front of house anymore it's just changed front of house completely it's brilliant it's really good so but during all these changes in in your lives you know in the last couple of years have you actually managed to enjoy the success of your book did you manage to enjoy the fact that Peter Gordon endorsed it and um, did you even go back to New Zealand with it not really, no, because I was really naive with the book coming out. I hadn't really thought about the fact that my picture was going to be in the book. And I've always been the faceless chef through the back. I've never really been part of the front of the cafe. The best thing I've got out of the book, actually, is seeing kids cooking. Like, we've had so many pictures of kids making, you know, New Zealand biscuits and, and making macaroni cheese, and that's been, that's been brilliant. Um, the book really was a bit bittersweet, you know, there was, 
there was parts where when the book was getting launched, we didn't think Al was going to be able to come because your immune system was really low. Um, and there was just lots of, lots of challenges and I'd have these massive highs um, and massive lows. And there was one day where Al got um, admitted to hospital with a respiratory infection. And I just remember being really, really stressed and then my phone ringing and walking out of the ward um, to talk to my publisher and her saying, I'm just ringing to let you know that uh, your book will be published in New Zealand. And that was just massive. And I just remember like standing in the doorway at Ragmore Hospital crying my eyes out. And I don't actually know what I was crying about, whether I was crying because I was so happy or whether I was just distraught because Al had cancer. It's, it's definitely had our ch its challenges. And the book got launched and it hit the ground running and it was so much bigger than I thought. And I really overstretched myself because I didn't give myself days off. I was literally going to book events, dealing with Al in the hospital, trying to keep the cafe running and trying to keep the staff happy and not overload them. So then whenever I could have had a day off, I went into work to try and take the load off the chefs and the, the team. Um, and I just really burnt myself out. And also actually, just before Al had his transplant, my mum was diagnosed with cancer and I had to go home for a month to help her. So I literally got off the plane, returning from looking after my mum for a month to Al's transplant then a month Huge in emotion. Edinburgh for Al's transplant and then I literally went straight back to work like as soon as we got back because the staff had been carrying me for like two months at that point um, and they're so incredibly supportive and understanding. I'm really lucky in that in that sense but it did have knock-on effects. It was massive the amount of money that we lost over that summer. So then by the time we got to November paying the tax and the VAT that was really stressful and it, it, just, it just seemed to be never ending. And then Al came home and, and you recovered really quickly and then you came back into the cafe and you've been helping me and that's been really good. Um, unfortunately, last summer, I just burnt myself out completely um, and actually had a breakdown. I just couldn't cope. Um, I had nothing left in me. And I think it was just my body reminding me that actually, hey, you're human mm -hmm. <laughs> and you've not had any days off. And I was putting everybody before myself um, where actually I should have, what I should have done was when Al came out of hospital, I should have probably have had a holiday or a break or... And just gone away. Yeah, and just refresh myself. So it was, I had three months off work last summer. Um, and again, the team picked up the pieces and they were amazing. And I think it was actually a good thing to happen now because it's made me realise that actually I'm not superhuman. And I need to look after myself better, you know, I need to not work seven days a week. So we're closed on Wednesdays now because then I guarantee to get a day off and I now eat better and I eat proper food. That's another problem with being a chef is you sit on a bucket in the corner of the kitchen and stuff a bit of toast in when you get a chance. Um, so yeah, it's been a bit of a learning curve, definitely. But You've I feel also like also learnt that your cafe functions without you. Yes. Which yes. is quite important to learn. Yeah, it does. It functions as long as we simplify things a little bit we just need to simplify it because if we run with the more complicated menus I don't think the consistency would be able to keep up because I do feel they need me there driving them and just keeping their motivation up um, short term absolutely no problems at all but I also think that you can't put massive pressure on your staff to to pick up the pieces for you you know when you're having a bit of a trauma in your life 
Um, so we we do have a couple of menus up our sleeve that like so last week we were down in Edinburgh for for Al to be at the hospital, um, and they had a simplified menu with soup and sandwiches and salads, and it went down really well, you know. So and then that means that they've had an enjoyable day and it's not been horrendous and it, it just works, you know. Yeah, no, it's good you can be like that. And I suppose your publisher's been supportive as well because it's a a small Scottish press, Mm -hmm. which is probably a big advantage in something like this because you actually get to know your publisher. Yes, and she was really good at saying to me, um, I've been asked if you want to go to this and would you like to come down to London and if it's too much, just say. Um, And, of course, I never did say, you know, I just, I did it and I wouldn't change it, you know. It was amazing. I had some incredible situations with, uh, Paul Hollywood's publisher, you know, and, and speaking to people that wanted to write cookbooks. And just being that little Kiwi farm girl suddenly in the Shard in London giving advice on writing a book, it was just bizarre, you know. I just, I don't feel like I'm that person sometimes. <laughs> you know, I'm just this little chef that makes granddad's relish in the back kitchen. <laughs> But then at the same time, look what you've built up. Yeah. And, that, and that's what's so inspirational, that you've built up this cafe that is so popular and it's known throughout Britain and abroad. Mm-hmm. That little farm girl in New Zealand with granddad's mm. relish mm. has become an award-winning chef and writer and cafe owner and had to do it all with lots of trauma going on in mm-hmm. your life. So that is a huge inspiration. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. I don't really <laughs> give myself credit for No, you don't, but it is. It is it's very inspirational. Yeah, but I think anybody can it do it. It is. It's abs- know, I think we're all... Not anyone can do it, but if someone like you can stand in front of a crowd and tell people how you've done it, it can make people feel, well, maybe I can mm-hmm. do it. Mm-hmm. And the same for you, Al, because you know, you, you've obviously got a very strong mind. You know, it's your mind that's carried you through. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, that also is inspirational. And sometimes we all have to turn whatever the negatives are in our lives into something positive. Yeah. And that's clearly what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So where are you going from now? What What are the plans? Mm, from now? Are you well, going to be a double act on stage now? <laughs> no way. <laughs> Definitely not, because I, I, I can't compete with the talent. Rubbish. <laughs> with the talent and and the passion, I think is is the driver for the cafe, isn't it? I mean, and and I think that's why that's why the staff love having you around, because you. I mean, they don't love having you around for the no shortcuts, but they do love that as well, because that's that's what's created the cafe. I've always aimed to be part of the team. I don't try mm-hmm. and be the boss. You know, like we had a guy uh, last week start. It was his second day, and he said, "Who's the owner?" <laughs> I love that you know it's like that's that's how it should be I should just be part of the team I don't expect anyone to do anything I wouldn't do but yeah so for next I don't know get through the stem cell transplant and so uh, she the cancer does put big full stop on the ability to do something it doesn't stop the dreaming for what next to the cafe but it does put a punctuation mark in that it's difficult to do something during that period. It's funny because it just makes me more determined to do something. You know, yeah. like I, I really hope that in October we can be lucky and get some time off. We've got a camper van and we'll probably try and go away in that. Um, and I'd really like to do some recipes cooking mm-hmm. in the camper van. Um, and I'd like to, you know, travel around Scotland a bit more trying these different foods that, that we can't quite get to. I don't, I, I feel limited sometimes that we can't travel and I can't get back to New Zealand at the moment. 
But there's another part of me thinking, well, do you know what? Scotland's amazing. And if we can get around in the camper van and, and meet people and taste different foods and write recipes, then I'm quite happy. Because you've definitely got another book that's bubbling away. Mm-hmm. I guess the only thing I would like to add to the to what next is just to keep improving the cafe. You know, I, I can't stop trying to make it better. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like an addiction in a way. You know, I'm just so... I love it, you know, and it's really my way of expressing myself. You know, recently we've got herbs growing on the balcony and that really excites me because we go out and pick our fresh herbs and I'm trying to grow berries along the balcony as well. And just adding these little dimensions of me into it um, that fulfills me. It's little things in life that that really make me happy at the moment. It's good. I'm going to blow your trumpet because that's something you don't do. Like you're the first hospitality um, business in Aviemore that is paying a living wage. Mm-hmm. And that's purely driven out of making a sustainable life as best as possible for the staff because they do work hard and there's a benefit to that. There's a knock-on effect to what the cafe earns as a result of it. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely not driven from a financially selfish point of view. It's much more about everything you do the cafe for. Yeah, and it, it's things like I pay for um, my chef to go and have physio. Mm-hmm. Um, so a couple of my chefs at the moment are seeing a, a physio that we see um, and she's brilliant and they're sorting out their back problems and that's the thing with being a chef is you get knackered knees and you get a knackered back and if I can make it so when my staff leave they've not got a knackered back from me <laughs> and I've done everything I can to keep them healthy and well then I've done my job.